0: 5. Court a summer spent on a New Hampshire farm, and know that an old farmer started his farm hands haying by moonlight at 2 o'clock in the morning, because the special farmer's weather forecast of the preceding evening had predicted rain for the following day. His reliance on the weather report was not misplaced, since the storm came with full force at noon. Sailing vessels, yachts, and fishing dories remain within reach of port if the barometer foretells storms. 82 isobaric and isothermal lines. If a line were drawn through all points on the surface of the earth having an equal barometric pressure at the same time, such a line would be called an isobar. For example, if the height of barometers in different localities is observed at exactly the same time, and if all the cities and towns which have the same pressure are connected by a line, the curved lines will be called isobars. By the aid of these lines the barometric conditions over a large area can be studied. The Weather Bureau at Washington relies greatly on these isobars for statements concerning local and distant weather forecasts. Any shift in isobaric lines showing change in atmospheric pressure. If a line is drawn through all points on the surface of the Earth having the same temperature at the same instant, such a line is called an iso from Figure 49, 83. Weather maps. Scattered over the United States are about 125 government weather stations, at each of which three times a day at the same instant. Accurate observations of the weather are made. These observations, which consist of the reading of barometer and thermometer, the determination of the velocity and direction of the wind, the determination of the humidity and of the amount of rain or snow, are telegraphed to the chief weather official at Washington. From the reports of wind storms, excessive rainfall, hot waves, clearing weather, etc. and their rate of travel, the chief officials predict where the storms, etc. will be at a definite future time. In the United States, the general movement of weather conditions, as indicated by the barometer, is from west to east. And if a certain weather condition prevails in the west, it is probable that it will advance eastward. Although with decided modifications, so many influences modify atmospheric conditions that in failing predictions are impossible. But the Weather Bureau predictions prove true in about 8 cases out of 10. The reports made out at Washington are telegraphed on request to cities in this country, and are frequently published in the daily papers, along with the forecast of the local office. A careful study of these reports enables one to forecast to some extent the probable weather conditions of the day. The first impression of a weather map figure 50 with its various lines and signals is apt to be one of confusion, and the temptation comes to abandon the task of finding an underlying plan of the weather. If one will bear in mind a few simple rules. The complexity of the weather map will disappear and a glance at the map will give one information concerning general weather conditions just as a glance at the thermometer in the morning will give some indication of the probable temperature of the day. See laboratory manual. On the weather map solid lines represent isobars and dotted lines represent isotherms. The direction of the wind at any point is indicated by an arrow which flies with the wind, and the state of the weather clear, partly cloudy cloudy, rain, snow, etc. is indicated by symbols. 84. Components of the air. The best known constituent of the air is oxygen. Already familiar to us as the feeder of the fire without and within the body, almost one-fifth of the air which envelops us is made up of the life-giving oxygen. The supply of oxygen in the air is constantly being used up by breathing animals and glowing fires, and unless there were some constant source of additional supply. The quantity of oxygen in the air would soon become insufficient to support animal life. The unfailing constant source of atmospheric oxygen is plant life section 48. The leaves of plants absorb carbon dioxide from the air, and break it up into oxygen and carbon. The plant makes use of the carbon but it rejects the oxygen, which passes back into the atmosphere through the pores of the leaves. Although oxygen constitutes only one-fifth of the atmosphere. It is one of the most abundant and widely scattered of all substances. Almost the whole earth, whether it be rich loam, barren clay, or granite boulder, contains oxygen in some form or other, that island in combination with other substances. But nowhere, except in the air around us, do we find oxygen free and in common with other substances. A less familiar but more abundant constituent of the atmosphere is the nitrogen. Almost four-fifths of the air around us is made up of nitrogen. If the atmosphere were composed of oxygen alone, the merest flicker of a match would set the whole world ablaze. The fact that the oxygen of the air is diluted as it were with so large a proportion of nitrogen, prevents fires from sweeping over the world and destroying everything in their path. Nitrogen does not support combustion, and a burning match placed in a corked bottle goes out as soon as it has used up the oxygen in the bottle. The nitrogen in the bottle, not only does not assist the burning of the match, but it acts as a damper to the burning. Free nitrogen, like oxygen, is a colorless, odorless gas. It is not poisonous, but one would die if surrounded by nitrogen alone, just as one would die if surrounded by water. The vast supply of nitrogen in the atmosphere would be useless if the smaller amount of oxygen were not present to keep the body alive. Nitrogen is so important a factor in daily life that an entire chapter will be devoted to it later. Another constituent of the air with which we are familiar is carbon dioxide. In pure air, carbon dioxide is present in very small proportion, being continually taken from the air by plants in the manufacture of their food. Various other substances are present in the air in very minute proportions, but of all the substances in the air, oxygen, nitrogen, and carbon dioxide are the most important. Chapter VIII General Properties of Gases 85. Bicycle Tires We know very well that we cannot put more than a certain amount of water in a tube, but we know equally well that the amount of air which can be pumped into a bicycle or automobile tire depends largely upon our muscular energy. A gallon of water remains a gallon of water and requires a perfectly definite amount of space. But air can be compressed and compressed, and made to occupy less and less space. While it is true that air is easily compressed, it is also true that air is elastic and capable of very rapid and easy expansion. If a puncture occurs in a tire, the compressed air escapes very quickly, that island the compressed air within the tube has taken the first opportunity offered for expansion, the fact that air is elastic has added materially to the comfort of the world, transportation by bicycles and automobiles has been greatly facilitated by the use of air tires, in many hospitals, air mattresses are used in place of hair, feather, or cotton mattresses, and in this way the bed is kept fresher and cleaner and can be moved with less danger of discomfort to the patient. Every time we squeeze the bulb of an atomizer, we force compressed or condensed air through the atomizer, and the condensed air pushes the liquid out of the nozzle figure 51. Thus we see that in the necessities and conveniences of life compressed air plays an important part. 86. The danger of compression. Air under ordinary atmospheric conditions exerts a pressure of 15 pounds to the square inch. If, now, Large quantities of air are compressed into a small space. The pressure exerted becomes correspondingly greater. If too much air is blown into a toy balloon, the balloon bursts because it cannot support the great pressure exerted by the compressed air within. What is true of air is true of all gases. Dangerous boiler explosions had occurred because the boiler walls were not strong enough to withstand the pressure of the steam which is water in the form of gas. The pressure within the boilers of engines is frequently several hundred pounds to the square inch, and such a pressure needs a strong boiler. 87. How pressure is measured in buildings. In the preceding section we saw that undue pressure of a gas may cause explosion. It is important, therefore, that authorities keep strict watch on gases confined within pipes and reservoirs, never allowing the pressure to exceed that which the walls of the reservoir will safely bear. Pressure in a gas pipe may be measured by a simple instrument called the pressure gauge. The gauge consists of a bent glass tube containing mercury, and so made that one end can be fitted to a gas jet figure 52. When the gas cock is closed, the mercury stands at the same level in both arms, but when the cock is opened, the gas whose pressure is being measured forces the mercury up the opposite arm. If the pressure of the gas is small, the mercury changes its level but very little. It is clear that the height of a column of mercury is a measure of the gas pressure. Now it is known that one cubic inch of mercury weighs about half a pound. Hence a column of mercury one inch high indicates a pressure of about one half pound to the square inch. A column two inches high indicates a pressure of about one pound to the square inch. And so on. This is a very convenient way to measure the pressure of the illuminating gas in our homes and offices. The gauge is attached to the gas burner and the pressure is read by means of a scale attached to the gauge. See laboratory manual. In order to have satisfactory illumination, the pressure must be strong enough to give a steady, broad flame. If the flame from any gas jet is flickering and weak, it is usually an indication of insufficient pressure and the gas company should investigate conditions and see to it that the consumer receives his proper value. 87. The gas meter. Most householders are deeply interested in the actual amount of gas which they consume gas is charged for according to the number of cubic feet used, and therefore they should be able to read the gas meter which indicates their consumption of gas. Such gas meters are furnished by the companies, and can be read easily. The instrument itself is somewhat complex. It will suffice to say that within the meter box are thin disks which are moved by the stream of gas that passes them. This movement of the disks is recorded by clockwork devices on a dial face. In this way, the number of cubic feet of gas which pass through the meter is automatically registered. 89. The relation between pressure and volume. It was long known that as the pressure of a gas increases, that island as it becomes compressed, its volume decreases. But Robert Boyle was the first to determine the exact relation between the volume and the pressure of a gas. He did this in a very simple manner. Pour mercury into a U-shaped tube until the level of the mercury in the closed end of the tube is the same as the level in the open end. The air in the long arm is pressing upon the mercury in that arm, and is tending to force it up the short arm. The air in the short closed arm is pressing down upon the mercury in that arm and tending to send it up the long arm. Since the mercury is at the same level in the two arms, the pressure in the long arm must be equal to the pressure in the short arm. But the long arm is open and the pressure in that arm is the pressure of the atmosphere. Therefore the pressure in the short arm must be 1 atmosphere. Measure the distance BC between the top of the mercury and the closed end of the tube. Pour more mercury into the open end of the tube. And as the mercury rises higher and higher in the long arm, note carefully the decrease in the volume of the air in the short arm. Pour mercury into the tube until the difference in level BD is just equal to the barometric height, approximately 32 inches. The pressure of the air in the closed end now supports the pressure of one atmosphere. And in addition, a column of mercury equal to another atmosphere. If now the air column in the closed end is measured, its volume will be only one half of its former volume. By doubling the pressure we have reduced the volume one half. Similarly, if the pressure is increased threefold, the volume will be reduced to a one third of the original volume. 90. Heat due to compression. We saw in section 89 that whenever the pressure exerted upon a gas is increased, the volume of the gas is decreased, and that whenever the pressure upon a gas is decreased, the volume of the gas is increased. If the pressure is changed very slowly, the change in the temperature of the gas is imperceptible. If, however, the pressure is removed suddenly, the temperature falls rapidly, or if the pressure is applied suddenly, the temperature rises rapidly, when bicycle tires are being inflated. The pump becomes hot because of the compression of the air. The amount of heat resulting from compression is surprisingly large. For example, if a mass of gas at zero degrees C is suddenly compressed to a one-half its original volume, its temperature rises 87 degrees C 91. Cooling by expansion. If a gas expands suddenly, its temperature falls. For example, if a mass of gas at 87 degrees C is allowed to expand rapidly to twice its original volume. Its temperature falls to zero degrees C. If the compressed air of a bicycle tire is allowed to expand and a sensitive thermometer is held in the path of the escaping air, the thermometer will show a decided drop in temperature. The low temperature obtained by the expansion of air or other gases is utilized commercially on a large scale. By means of powerful pistons air is compressed to a one-third or one-fourth its original volume, is passed through a coil of pipe surrounded with cold water and is then allowed to escape into a large refrigerating vaults, which thereby have their temperatures noticeably lowered, and can be used for the permanent storage of meats, fruits, and other perishable material. In summer, when the atmospheric temperature is high, the storage and preservation of foods is of vital importance to factories and cold storage houses, and but for the low temperature obtainable by the expansion of compressed gases, much of our food supply would be lost to use. 92 and expected transformations. If the pressure on a gas is greatly increased, a sudden transformation sometimes occurs and the gas becomes a liquid. Then, if the pressure is reduced, a second transformation occurs, and the liquid evaporates or returns to its original form as a gas. In Section 23 we saw that a fall of temperature caused water vapor to condense or liquefy. If temperature alone were considered, most gases could not be liquefied. Because the temperature at which the average gas liquefies is so low as to be out of the range of possibility, it has been calculated, for example, that a temperature of 252 degrees C below zero would have to be obtained in order to liquefy hydrogen. Some gases can be easily transformed into liquids by pressure alone. Some gases can be easily transformed into liquids by cooling alone, on the other hand, Many gases are so difficult to liquefy that both pressure and low temperature are needed to produce the desired result. If a gas is cooled and compressed at the same time, liquefaction occurs much more surely and easily than no either factor alone were dependent upon. The air which surrounds us, and of whose existence we are scarcely aware, can be reduced to the form of a liquid. But the pressure exerted upon the portion to be liquefied must be 39 times as great as the atmospheric pressure and the temperature must have been reduced to a very low point. 93. Artificial ice. Ammonia gas is liquefied by strong pressure and low temperature and is then allowed to flow into pipes which run through tanks containing salt water. The reduction of pressure causes the liquid to evaporate or turn to a gas, and the fall of temperature which always accompanies evaporation means a lowering of the temperature of the salt water to 16 degrees or 18 degrees below zero but immersed in the salt water are molds containing pure water, and since the freezing point of water is 0 degrees C the water in the molds freezes and can be drawn from the mold as solid cakes of ice. Ammonia gas is driven by the pump into the coil figure 56 under a pressure strong enough to liquefy it, the heat generated by this compression being carried off by cold water which constantly circulates through, the liquid ammonia flows through the regulating valve into the coil, in which the pressure is kept low by the pump, the accompanying expansion reduces the temperature to a very low degree, and the brine which circulates around the coil acquires a temperature below the freezing point of pure water. The cold brine passes from to a tank in which are immersed cans filled with water, and within a short time the water in the cans is frozen into solid cakes of ice. Chapter IX Invisible Objects 94 Very Small Objects We saw in Section 84 that gases had a tendency to expand, but that they can be compressed by the application of force. This observation has led scientists to suppose that substances are composed of very minute particles called molecules, separated by small spaces called pores, and that when a gas is condensed, the pores become smaller, and that when a gas expands, the pores become larger. The fact that certain substances are soluble, like sugar in water, shows that the molecules of sugar find a lodging place in the spaces or pores between the molecules of water, In much the same way that pebbles find lodgment in the chinks of the coal in a coal skull, an indefinite quantity of sugar cannot be dissolved in a given quantity of liquid, because after a certain amount of sugar has been dissolved all the pores become filled, and there is no available molecular space. The remainder of the sugar settles at the bottom of the vessel, and cannot be dissolved by any amount of stirring. If a piece of potassium permanganate about the size of a grain of sand is put into a quart of water, The solid disappears and the water becomes a deep rich red. The solid evidently has dissolved and has broken up into minute particles which are too small to be seen, but which have scattered themselves and lodged in the pores of the water, thus giving the water its rich color. There is no visible proof of the existence of molecules and molecular spaces, because not only are our eyes unable to see them directly, but even the most powerful microscope cannot make them visible to us. They are so small that if one thousand of them were laid side by side, they would make a speck too small to be seen by the eye and too small to be visible under the most powerful microscope. We cannot see molecules or molecular pores, but the phenomena of compression and expansion, solubility and other equally convincing facts, have led us to conclude that all substances are composed of very minute particles or molecules separated by spaces called pores. 95. Journeys Made by Molecules If a gas jet is turned on and not lighted, an odor of gas soon becomes perceptible, not only throughout the room, but in adjacent halls and even in distant rooms. An encorked bottle of cologne sends an entire room. The odor of a rose or violet permeates the atmosphere near and far. These simple everyday occurrences seem to show that the molecules of a gas must be in a state of continual and rapid motion. In the case of the cologne. Some molecules must have escaped from the liquid by the process of evaporation and travelled through the air to the nose. We know that the molecules of a liquid are in motion and are continually passing into the air because in time the vessel becomes empty. The only way in which this could happen would be for the molecules of the liquid to pass from the liquid into the surrounding medium, but this is really saying that the molecules are in motion. From these phenomena and others it is reasonably clear that substances are composed of molecules and that molecules are not inert, quiet particles, but that they are in incessant motion, moving rapidly hither and thither, sometimes traveling far, sometimes near. Even the log of wood which lies heavy and motionless on our woodpile is made up of countless billions of molecules each in rapid incessant motion. The molecules of solid bodies cannot escape so readily as those of liquids and gases, and do not travel far. The log lies year after year in an apparently motionless condition. But if one's eyes were keen enough, the molecules would be seen moving among themselves, even though they cannot escape into the surrounding medium and make long journeys as do the molecules of liquids and gases. 96. The Companions of Molecules. Common sense tells us that a molecule of water is not the same as a molecule of vinegar, the molecules of each are extremely small and in rapid motion, but they differ essentially. Otherwise one substance would be like every other substance. What is it that makes a molecule of water differ from a molecule of vinegar, and each differ from all other molecules? Strange to say, a molecule is not a simple object, but is quite complex, being composed of one or more smaller particles, called atoms, and the number and kind of atoms in a molecule determine the type of the molecule, and the type of the molecule determines the substance. For example, a glass of water is composed of a told millions of molecules, and each molecule is a company of three still smaller particles. One of which is called the oxygen atom and two of which are alike in every particular and are called hydrogen atoms. 97. Simple molecules. Generally molecules are composed of atoms which are different in kind. For example, the molecule of water has two different atoms. The oxygen atom and the hydrogen atoms. Alcohol has three different kinds of atoms. Oxygen, hydrogen, and carbon. Sometimes. However, Molecules are composed of a group of atoms all of which are alike. Now there are but 70 or 80 different kinds of atoms, and hence there can be but 70 or 80 different substances whose molecules are composed of atoms which are alike. When the atoms comprising a molecule are all alike, the substance is called an element, and is said to be a simple substance. Throughout the length and breadth of this vast world of ours there are only about 80 known elements. An element is the simplest substance conceivable because it has not been separated into anything simpler. Water is a compound substance. It can be separated into oxygen and hydrogen. Gold, silver, and lead are examples of elements. And water, alcohol, cider, sand, and marble are complex substances, or compounds, as we are apt to call them. Everything, no matter what its size or shape or character, is formed from the various combinations into molecules of a few simple atoms. Of which there exist about 80 known different kinds. But few of the 80 known elements play an important part in our everyday life. The elements in which we are most interested are given in the following table. And the symbols by which they are known are placed in columns to the right. Oxygen O, copper cubic, phosphorus P, hydrogen H, iodine I, potassium K, carbon C, iron Fe, silver, gallium, ally TB, sodium, N, calcium Ca, nickel, Ni, sulfur, S, chlorine, centiliters, nitrogen, N, tin. We have seen in an earlier experiment that twice as much hydrogen as oxygen can be obtained from water. Two atoms of the element hydrogen unite with one atom of the element oxygen to make one molecule of water. In symbols we express this H2O. A group of symbols, such as this, expressing a molecule of a compound is called a formula. Necklace. the formula for sodium chloride, which is the chemical name of common salt. Chapter X light 98. What light does for us? Heat keeps us warm, cooks our food, drives our engines, and in a thousand ways makes life comfortable and pleasant. But what should we do without light? How many of us could be happy even though warm and well fed if we were forced to live in the dark where the sunbeams never flickered, where the shadows never stole across the floor, and where the soft twilight could not tell us that the day was done? Heat and light are the two most important physical factors in life, we cannot say which is the more necessary. Because in the extreme cold or arctic regions man cannot live. And in the dark places where the light never penetrates man sickens and dies. Both heat and light are essential to life. And each has its own part to play in the varied existence of man and plant and animal. Light enables us to see the world around us. Makes the beautiful colors of the trees and flowers. Enables us to read. Is essential to the taking of photographs. Gives us our moving pictures and our magic lanterns produces the exquisite tints of stained glass windows, and brings us the joy of the rainbow. We do not always realize that light is beneficial, because sometimes it fades our clothing and our carpets, and burns our skin and makes it sore. but we shall see that even these apparently harmful effects of light are in reality of great value in man's constant battle against disease. 99. The Candle. Natural heat and light are furnished by the sun day but the absence of the sun during the evening makes artificial light necessary, and even during the day artificial light is needed in buildings whose structure excludes the natural light of the sun day artificial light is furnished by electricity, by gas, by oil and lamps, and in numerous other ways, until modern times candles were the main source of light, and indeed today the intensity, or power, of any light is measured in candle power units. Just as length is measured in yards, for example, an average gas jet gives a 10-candle-powered light, or is 10 times as bright as a candle, an ordinary incandescent electric light gives a 16-candle-powered light, or furnishes 16 times as much light as a candle. Very strong large oil lamps can at times yield a light of 60-candle-power, while the large arc lamps which flash out on the street corners are said to furnish 1,200 times as much light as a single candle. Naturally all candles do not give the same amount of light, nor are all candles alike in size. The candles which decorate our tea tables are of wax, while those which serve for general use are of paraffin and tallow. 100. Fading Illumination. The farther we move from a light, the less strong, or intense, is the illumination which reaches us. The light of the street lamp on the corner fades and becomes dim before the middle of the block is reached, so that we look eagerly for the next lamp. The light diminishes in brightness much more rapidly than we realize. As the following simple experiment will show. Let a single candle figure 57 serve as our light. And at a distance of one foot from the candle place a photograph. In this position the photograph receives a definite amount of light from the candle and has a certain brightness. If now we place a similar photograph directly behind the first photograph and at a distance of two feet from the candle. The second photograph receives no light because the first one cuts off all the light. If, however, the first photograph is removed, the light which fell on it passes outward and spreads itself over a larger area, until at the distance of the second photograph the light spreads itself over four times as large an area as formerly. At this distance, then, the illumination on the second photograph is only one-fourth as strong as it was on a similar photograph held at a distance of one foot from the candle. The photograph or object placed at a distance of one foot from a light is well illuminated, if it is placed at a distance of two feet. The illumination is only one-fourth as strong. And if the object is placed three feet away, the illumination is only one-ninth as strong. This fact should make us have thought and care in the use of our eyes. We think we are sixteen times as well off with our incandescent lights as our ancestors were with simple candles. But we must reflect that our ancestors kept the candle near them at their elbow, so to speak, while we sit at some distance from the light and inconcernedly read and so, as an object recedes from a light the illumination which it receives diminishes rapidly, for the strength of the illumination is inversely proportional to the square of distance of the object from the light, our ancestors with a candle at a distance of one foot from a book were as well off as we are with an incandescent light four feet away. 101. Money Value of Light. Light is bought and sold almost as readily as are the products of farm and dairy, many factories, churches, and apartments pay a definite sum for electric light of a standard strength, and naturally full value is desired. An instrument for measuring the strength of a light is called a photometer, and there are many different varieties, just as there are varieties of scales which measure household articles. One light measuring scale depends upon the law that the intensity of illumination decreases with the square of the distance of the object from the light. Suppose we wish to measure the strength of the electric light bulbs in our homes. In order to see whether we are getting the specified illumination, in front of a screen place a black rod figure 58 which is illuminated by two different lights, namely, a standard candle and an incandescent bulb whose strength is to be measured. Two shadows of the rod will fall on the screen. One caused by the candle and the other caused by the incandescent light. The shadow due to the latter source is not so dark as that due to the candle. Now let the incandescent light be moved away from the screen until the two shadows are of equal darkness. If the incandescent light is four times as far away from the screen as the candle, and the shadows are equal, we know, by section 100, that its strength is 16 candle power. If the incandescent light is four times as far away from the screen as the candle island its power must be 16 times as great. And we know the company is furnishing the standard amount of light for a 16 candle power electric bulb. If, however, the bulb must be moved nearer to the rod in order that the two shadows may be similar then the light given by the bulb is less than 16 candle power, and less than that do the consumer. 102. How light travels. We never expect to see around a corner and if we wish to see through pinholes in three separate pieces of cardboard, we place the cardboard so that the three holes are in a straight line. When sunlight enters a dark room through a small opening, the dust part,